Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. We're in a new decade of podcast episode, episode 90 of The Long Finish. Welcome to episode 90, everybody. Back after a couple of weeks, life has fully consumed us, Catherine and me. So we'll detail that in a second. But we wanted to get to the heart of red wine season. And you're excited about this wine. Oh, I am. You're excited about this wine because of the story it has to tell, but also the region from whence it came, where it came. Wince. <laughs> Let's talk like that tonight. I've had a few cocktails tonight, guys. It's been a tough, tough week for me. So you're excited about the region. You're excited yep. about the varietal. You're excited yes. about the story. Yes. What are we drinking tonight? Yes. This is such a great red wine to be drinking in October for so many reasons, but we will talk about that in a second. This is Maison de Ardoisier. That is sub-label of Domaine d'Ardoisier. This is the Salice Rouge, vintage 2021, and it's from the Savoie in France. Delicious red wine, 100% Mondeuse. Oh yeah, we're going to break that all down if that sounded like gibberish or French to you. It was sort of French. This is just good wine. And there's some fancy people drinking it and we're drinking it. And we're going to tell you how to drink it. The Venn diagram is this wine with fancy people and with us. (laughs) The outer circle. Two parents just trying to cope. (laughs) I wish everyone could see the living room in which we're filming uh, right taping now. right now. I'm looking at a Paw Patrol jet and some wooden blocks. There's a roll of wrapping paper on the couch and a half-made Halloween costume of a robot over here. There's a, a box of crayons and half-written complete gibberish of letters that are written and a whole handful of other toys and just absolute junk, you guys. It is, um, I would say, zen. Zen moment. Just to, just to be completely honest with the audience, which we've always done, our two youngest kids are coming out of, is it a disease? Um, hand, foot, and mouth. We, let's yeah, just say. Hand, foot, and mouth. It's a virus. Virus. Yeah. So we're dealing with that. And as most parents probably experienced at one point in time, our oldest went through it. And now our, our two youngest have gone through it by the time you're listening to the podcast. We've survived it, but right now we're on the tail end of it. So it's quarantining at home it's, for it's them. Pa- it's, pande- it's quarantining for us. It's pandemic 2020 all over again. And I've said this before. You know, I gained 35 pounds in the pandemic, and I see it when I watch these two kids when they stay home from school or they're sick because I immediately look to the chips, the booze, the extra food, the late night peanut butter runs, ice cream. I see it happening. I, and now I see because I have time to remove myself from the 35 pounds I lost. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just hanging on for dear life because this is what I experienced again this week. Once we take the kids out of school, it's just like there is no routine. There is nothing. Nothing good is happening. Nothing good happens when your kids are out of school. Well, they're doing just fine. It's just you. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I just sit them in front of the TV for two hours so I can oh just, you know. God. I'm sorry, Catherine. I, you don't even know that I did that, but I did do it. 
to preserve my life, my it's vital signs. We don't need to go into this in depth, but we have different visions of what, quote, screen time means. So, But things are different fine. when a kid is sick, no, right? Of course, out of school. Of course. Anyway, crazy week. Lots of good stuff happening in the rest of the world. You know, obviously, October is, we've been away for a few weeks because life has consumed us, but we're back in the thrust of the greatest, one of the two greatest sports months of the year, which is October. Also, one of the two greatest vegetable months of the year. Interesting. Tell I, me I, more. I, I mean, think Tell about me more. butternut squash and all these like wonderful fall vegetables that are coming out. I think about fall I've not seen wines. one squash cooked in this kitchen okay. this no. year. Not yet, because it's 90 degrees here. It's true. We're still the eating asparagus. The United snap peas. States, you know, it's a little different. But here, we're in a heat wave. How are you going to get the kids to eat butternut squash? How not? It's so sweet and delicious. <laughs> Just got, oh, you know, the one that you used to have at Milo and Olive with the honey and the sage on it? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of restaurants, what's going on at Esther's? How's everything going on over there? What's the outlook as we head into to like deep fall, early winter? Esther's is fantastic. It's been really fun. I just went there on Monday for the first time in a long time as a guest. Now, I want to hear about, yes, set yeah. the scene. Set the scene. This is true. I had to watch the kids while you went on a, I a met date a of sorts. You met a friend. I met a friend. A friend that is not a mom. A friend that what does, is this? Yeah, what no. What is happening here? She Did you even talk kids? about kids? Are not that much. Look like barely. It was just like a true adult friend. Yeah. And I went to Esther's and I saw some people I knew right away. Hello, you know, chatting with them. And then my friend came in. They escorted us to our table. It was outside. It was busy. There were like some parties there. The twinkly lights were all aglow. There was great music. Like the From whence you came, the twinkly <laughs> lights were all aglow. The vibe was going <laughs> for me. Uh, anyway, it is truly a pleasure after seven years to come and enjoy your own place as a guest and not be worried about every little thing but have a good time and think oh I envision this place because it was somewhere that I would want to go and finally I'm here yeah. I'm here yeah and that was really really fun Esther's is doing great this is a good season for us because people want to be out. Lots of parties are booking. People are getting together, you know. Still warm enough to enjoy the patio. The patio is warm. We, I mean, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but we redid the whole patio. So the tables are new. The cushions are new. It like looks vibrant and together. And because, you know, we bought all this different furniture and all this crazy stuff during the pandemic when you couldn't get anything and you just had to like order whatever mismatched tables really fast. But then we took our time to make it nice because the patio is so much bigger and it looks great. The staff is happy. They're just in it. Our team is so awesome right now. So dialed in. Like our managers are just, I hate to say that word, killing it, but they're killing it. Well, knock on wood, it continues. Just, yeah. It, anyway, it's a good moment for Esther's. It's so nice to see it. And I don't want to reveal it too soon, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> this friend that I met, big reader, loves Esther's, been in the wine club for a long time. We... We are going to start Nestor's Book Club, so stay tuned in 2023 for the Esther's Book Club. It's coming. That's big because you've been basically giving out a book club of sorts on this podcast. I know. 
but I've just been saying like the title, this is going to be, we're going to get together, read a wine book and taste wines. It's going to be about wine, really? With, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. We're going to read like, you know, Adventures on the Wine ba- Route by Kermit Lynch and drink wines Classic. from the book. Yeah. I mean, how cool that is. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I should briefly mention that you and I actually went out on a real date for the first time in a couple of months. I mean, maybe you said it was almost 10 months. How ten, long? 10 weeks. 10 weeks, excuse me. <laughs> 10 months. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> 10 weeks. I so mean, you said your memory wasn't very yeah, good. My memory I is so bad. I know that. Two and a half months since we've been out on a date. We went out <laughs> last week to Birdie G's, had a great time. Uh, for those of you who have frequented Birdie G's in Santa Monica, um, if, you're, if you come to Santa Monica, you got to go. Wonderful time out just to be adults. Just remember, and this is a, this week has been a reminder, it's good to be adults. Yes. And it's been a funny week because we've been asked to do a lot of things this week and we can't do any of them. So uh, we, you know, we, we use that one night to remember that we're adults. Is there a weird feeling for you that you like, that you want to be invited to lots of things but not go to any of them? No. no. I don't have, I don't need him to be invited. You don't even want to be invited? No, it's no. nice. It's nice. Thank you so much. But... No, I'm just, I'm more on the other side of the introvert, extrovert scale than you. You are close to full-blown, and I'm more on the not so much. You think under- I'm full-blown? No, you're not full-blown. We're both in the middle, yeah, I would a- say, but you lean more extrovert, I lean more introvert. I agree. I agree. So it was, it was great to be with you last week, tonight, where we use this as an opportunity to connect. Let's connect over this wine, because I know... You uh, told me as you were opening it, you said, Tug, you're going to love this wine. Yes, I will. And I do. Okay, so those of you that know us well know we have to pick our reds with care because we don't drink red wines as much as we drink white wines. We have to choose them very judiciously. And I wanted to choose something different that we hadn't had on the podcast before. I wanted to choose something that made me feel like fall. And I wanted to choose a unique region. So this checks all those boxes. So can you remind everyone what we're drinking tonight? And let's get into it. Let's talk about it. This is the Maison de Ardoisier, Celise, or Celise, Rouge 2021, and it's from Savoie. It is actually IGP Vinde à la Broge. Killing it. Yeah. Killing out the pronunciation tonight. Some, actually, you know what? We should have someone who speaks really great French as one of our guests and can just correct we'll me in every it. moment. Okay. Sure. Okay. So Savoie, France. Let's start there. Because I was reading a lot about this wine and it was so interesting. I'm so fascinated. And then I thought, what percentage of wine drinkers can even read this stuff I'm reading? You know, sometimes I feel like the wine field when you're looking for information or researching online is so narrow. Like it's so nerdy it's so detailed that like maybe the average person or someone who's new to wine isn't can't even read it because it's too detailed so I think about that sometimes when I'm in a restaurant and the sommelier just launches into the clones and details of all the wine you're like okay how about what country are we in (laughs) you know let's do the basics first so we're in France we're in the Savoie this is eastern France we're near the Alps Pictures of Savoie. Just Google Savoie wine, S-A-V-O-I-E, 
ridiculous. You're going to see Mont Blanc in the distance. You can see these just peaks, glacier, you know, unbelievable. Alpine, Alpine. And we've talked about the Jura region before. So Jura is to the north. We've talked about Switzerland before. Switzerland is to the east. We've talked about Bougie as a region that also borders the Savoie. And we love Alpine cheese. So that's there too. So really mountain, high mountain. And it's not a lot of acreage. Okay. It's only like five thousand acres. It's so half a percent of all the French wines come from here. Half of a percent. So not very much. But and 70% of it is white. And the vineyards, the whole region is all kind of, if you look at it on a map, sort of speckled because you've got mountains, right? So there are just little pockets where vineyards are, and then you've got other little pockets, and everything's terraced, you know, everything's on these big slopes. And the slopes in range and altitude from 800 to 1800 feet. And even though we have this higher altitude, it's kind of warm because most of the vineyards have southerly exposure. So they're getting that early morning sunlight and there's rivers and lakes that kind of moderate the temperature. And there's other things that grow there too, you know, stone fruit and olives and all kinds of things. 23 grape varieties, five white, two red. One of the big red ones is Mondeuse. It's spelled M-O-N-D-E-U-S-E. Mondeuse. Great name. I feel like it's an under known name, underrepresented name in the wine world, just because how cool the name is. Such a cool name. Okay. And it's named... You, you want a nickname like Mondeuse when you're going through high school. Name your like kid Mondeuse. <laughs> Except amazing. then we couldn't do that because people be like, oh, wine nerds, you know, but yeah. like it's super fun. Uh, it's native to the region. This grape was cultivated by the Gaelic tribe, the ancient Gauls before the Romans. So Vin de Alabroge, the name of the IGP, again, the region, is named after the Gaulish tribe that was in before the Roman period. So like wine dates back here almost to the first century, second, third for sure, maybe first century even. But both Pliny the Elder and the agronomist Columella documented a red grapevine in this area Pliny named it Vitis albrogica, and they think that this may have been an ancestor of Mondeuse. This wine we're drinking tonight. Okay, so it's an ancient vine. That was like a magician's reveal. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mondeuse. The color is what's so cool. It's, it's a lighter body wine. When when I think of it, when Tug was like, what are we going to drink tonight? I was like, okay, it's sort of like Syrah meets Gamay meets Pinot Noir. Because it's got this like pepperiness, and but it's got the darkness of Syrah. Like the whole glass is super dark purple. And there's great acidity, like Syrah, like Gamay. There's some tannin to it. I would think like Gamay, you know, not crazy. It's not, not as much as Syrah, but... And it has that pepperiness, but it has a lot of red fruit. It has that violet thing sometimes that Syrah can have. It's gamey. There's cinnamon cloves. There are these spices to it. It's 
fall. I mean, that speaks to me of fall. So it feels in the world of those. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just a lighter version of Syrah. And people have said that it can age, you know, even 10 to 15 years, a great version. And it gets more and more like Syrah, probably like Northern Rhone Syrah. The only thing I didn't really mention about Savoie maybe are the soils, but you know, we're in the Alps. We're in we're in the we're in the mountains. So think like glacier, alluvial, river stones over clay, lots of, you know, water over centuries over the years. Alpine. Now we get to Domaine de Ardoisier. Basically founded by Michel Grisard, who grew up in the area. His family had a farm, but they grew a lot of things and they had a nursery. They were growing vines. They also had like eggs and produce and meats and all that kind of thing. He went away, you know, the typical story. Son goes away, comes back, wants to get into wine, buys up some vineyards, really gets into wine, comes back, takes over from his father, and got super into organics and biodynamics after meeting Michel Chaputier in the 90s. He's the first winery to start working biodynamically in the 90s in Savoie, which is pretty crazy, and got certified organic. So he's just going for it. But still, they're really small. Then in the early 2000s, there's a gentleman named Bryce Omont, who come young guy in his 20s, comes from Champagne, was looking for somewhere to kind of like put down his roots, somewhere where they were making more natural wine, organic wine, biodynamics, something he could really be a part of the winemaking. And he goes to someone and he's like, is there anyone here doing anything naturally? And they're like, well, Michel Grissard at Domaine Ardoisier, he's the one. So he goes over and they hit it off and they start making wine. Well, they start making wine together. I mean, Omont just joins him. And he's after a little bit, they're like, he's like, how are you going to sustain this? There's like, you're putting so much into these vineyards. There's so little wine you're making. And I just, we're going to run out of money. So they apply for a loan, can't get a loan. Then they go to their best customer and they're like, what should we do? We're going to have to just stop making wine. Customer says, hold on. Comes back. It's like, I'm going to give you money along with these other 10 customers because we love your wine. And you know what? Just be well. We don't need it back. You're good. So they go and they start making continue to make some great wine. Two of those people ended up being advisors to them to continue making um, the company, but they saved the winery. Unfortunately, the only thing is they don't have a really deep library of old wines because they would literally sell everything because they just had to make money. They were super, super small. Eventually, they had a falling out and Michel Grissard, the founder, he left. So, Bryce Omont has been making the wines basically since 2014. Practicing biodynamic, still organic. And now, most recently, they've expanded the production. So they're not only working with their own vineyards, but because vineyards, the vintages have been so spotty. I mean, some years, since 2018, their whole vintage is wiped out by hail or frost, or it's just been crazy. They have a negociant project. So this is their project. And the red, the first vintage of the red was 2020. So this is only the second vintage of this wine. They purchase fruit from other organic vineyards. 
and make this Salise Rouge, 100% Mondeuse, under their label, same style of wine, less expensive, so a way to get to know this winery. Because one thing I didn't mention is, I mean, it's impossible to get these in France. You just can't even get them in Paris. It's really hard to get them on the East Coast. They just came to LA right before the pandemic, I would say, maybe 2019 or something. But then there's so little quantity. So there's a little more of this. It helps sustain the rest of what they do. And it's a way for people to get to know them. These are natural wines. They don't do anything to the fermentations. If it takes three weeks, great. If it takes five weeks, great. Patience. Patience is the the name of the game here. The wines are really about this alpine terroir. And the heart of the vineyard's um, the heart of the vineyard is in a little place called Sivin. Absolutely epic vineyard with a white little chapel on top. Someday I could post the picture or you could just look at it. It's online. It, it's just magic. But I just wanted to read this one thing before you stop listening to me because I talked for so long. Omont, his goal, he says... He's very comfortable with the direction he's headed. He says, we are just messengers. One day I will die and this terroir will continue. Have I listened correctly to the terroir? Have I expressed correctly the terroir? I am lucky enough to have the chance to do that. Each vintage I ask myself, did I do a good job expressing what this place has to say? That's what he's out for. That's really cool. couple questions. When they got the funding from those customers... Was it just an injection of cash? Did they do anything differently that you know of? Did they bring in the new varietals? or just How did they use that money to sort of keep them alive? Well, I think right away, like I said, it was just like, boom, okay, and we can keep moving forward. But then I guess, you know, two of the folks that were customers, like I said, were advisors. advisors. Yeah. But it's only recently that they started doing this project. And I've noticed a bunch of other wineries do the same thing. And I think it is really smart. Dutrev had to do this in Beaujolais. You know, I'm going to buy fruit from other people that I think are making great fruit. and I'm going to make wine from that fruit as well. I'll make it under either my label or a second label. And that way you're insulated. So if something happens to your fruit, your whole vintage isn't just nothing. I mean, it's hard to explain the gravity of that situation, but if your whole vineyard is wiped out from frost, that's zero dollars. You know, like that's no income for that year. So being able to buy from someone else, make wine, still have something to sell, that keeps you in business for another year. I mean, that's a major thing. It seems like the negotiant thing has been more accepted by the wine community in the recent years. I remember maybe as many as 10 years ago, we talk, people talked about negotiant wines where people were bringing other people's grapes. It wasn't seen as widely as accepted as it is now because of the of the way the climate is oftentimes, right? If we talked about hailstorms happening in Burgundy, et cetera, et cetera. So do you notice that? It seems to be more widely accepted now than maybe in, in past years. Well, I feel like it went through a dip. Like there was a moment, there were plenty, there was a long time where people were fine with Negociant because it was a brand that they were buying into and it was a quality winemaker who was buying grapes from people that couldn't afford to make great wine or weren't interested in making great wine. And so that was fine. But then it went through a dip because people, the grower 
movement happen. And people were like, wow. But if you really, really want to express your vineyards, your terroir, you have ownership over them. You don't sell it to somebody else. And that became a big thing. Certainly, we saw that, you know, in Champagne. But there is a reason it exists. And it can be great. And it can be okay just to buy fruit from a friend. I think sometimes hearing the backstory behind it or saying, oh, it's their cousin, or they know these vineyards, or they work with the farmers, you know, even Tablas Creek up in Paso Robles, they have a line where they buy fruit from people that they've sold the vines to, you know, lots of people work in this way, and just to do it with integrity, and not as a money grab. The last question I have about this wine is, you talk about the comparison to Syrah, and it feels like Syrah has been an undervalued varietal the past few years, but this wine feels like it's really in demand. So what do you think it is about this wine that's like making people feel like this wine needs to be as HTG, as we as we call in the wine world, hard to get? And is there an opening now for Syrah in the space? Well, I do think, I mean, this producer is very special and really led the way in the region of Savoie and became a darling in Paris and and then beyond. Northern Rhone has that same thing. You know, the darling producers of the Northern Rhone are swept up in Paris, are swept up in New York, but it's so specific. It's so much like the Northern Rhone, the Northern Rhone. And then there's Chetineuf, but that's not just Syrah. That's not straight Syrah. That's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, Grenache and 13 plus varietals. So I don't know. I But I think that the wines, when I think about Syrah, I do think that this mimics the wines of Northern Rhone more than like a Shiraz or a California Syrah. It's just so much lighter and leaner. And I don't know. I love Syrah, but it it's not easy to sell. It's not. It's not. It's not an easy sell. And everyone, you put it in their glass, they enjoy it. I'm not sure how it got lost in the shuffle. It's just interesting to it's me just because... not having a moment. Yeah, you talk about Syrah, <laughs> the comps for this. This wine is obviously very popular right now, only in Paris, hard to get in, in the States, but, you know, it has those qualities, so maybe this will be a gateway for, you know, some people to go back out to the Syrah wines out there. But let's talk about food pairings for this wine. What are you thinking about when you're drinking this wine? Well, first I was thinking about raclette. I was thinking about that <laughs> melted alpine cheese. We opened Esther's with a raclette. Oh, fantastic maybe we bring it back for winter Ooh, a little fondue yeah. any kind of alpine cheese would be great but uh, thinking about those fall vegetables that roasted butternut squash there we go i'm thinking about my bean stew <laughs> right now with this things with spice it would be great with thanksgiving this is a great roasted turkey and all the fixings you put a slight chill on this one by the way Yes. Right, this came out of the fridge with mm-hmm. a little chill on it so that if you're able to get your hands on this, this is something you recommend. Uh, definitely. Not cold, cold, but like enough. You know, I had it in the fridge and then I took it out and it just sat on the counter for a while. And yeah, I think that that just makes it even more refreshing than it is. And where can our listeners find this wine? We've talked about how hard it is to get in France. Yes, but I think this, like I said, this is the Maison d'Ardoisier. 
you should be able to see more of this around because there's more quantity. You can get it at Esther's. There's probably other, there are other spots around LA where you can get it. I know other big cities are going to have it too. And um, I'm sure online, but y- you can find this. My last question is who, or should I say, what type of wine drinker would be into this wine? People who like Pinot Noir are going to like this wine. People who like lighter body reds are going to like this wine. People who like chilled reds might like this wine. People who like burgundy will like this wine. People who like natural wine will like this wine. Yeah. A lot of people going to like this wine. Yeah. Cab drinkers, Barolo lovers, it's not like that, you know. Yeah, it's not it big. It's not, not power. It doesn't have the structure. doesn't have those tannins. That's the only review you need right there, the oom. So if you're near Esther's in Santa Monica, come grab a bottle or look for it in cities where you are close or you live. We will post this on our Instagram at The Lung Finish so you can check out the bottle, get more information. If you have any questions for us, feel free to DM us at The Lung Finish on Instagram and grab a bottle today. Let's kick it in full gear as we are in the throes of fall. All right, now we get to the portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. Uh, as we tape tonight, on Friday night, October 21st, we learned that uh, the art critic for The New Yorker has passed away, Peter Sheldahl. For those of you who are fans of The New Yorker, like myself, it's very sad news. I'm a big fan of Peter's work, and I would always uh, open The New Yorker. When I saw his name at the table of contents, I would go backwards and read the the caption contest and then read Peter Sheldahl's reviews. I just loved reading him. And he has a great article that someone was passing around on social media from 2019 called The Art of Dying, which is basically his article where he announces that he's been diagnosed with lung cancer. And it's a really great article that's sort of a unique structure. And it's fun to learn about him, learn about his life. And um, Catherine, as you know, you have a very unique relationship with people that you read but never meet. And this is a way to get to know him better as you read his work and revisit his work. And so just an interesting, amazing life. And I learned a lot as a fan of art. I've always learned from him. And so sad news today to hear that he passed away today from lung cancer. But if you have a chance to revisit his article, The Art of Dying from 2019 in The New Yorker, I think you'll have a, uh, you'll, you'll have some laughs. It was, it's a very funny article learning about him and his thoughts about being diagnosed with lung cancer and his journey through his life so far. So so my inspiration of the week goes out to Peter Sheldahl. Rest in peace, Peter. Thank you for your inspiration. Catherine, what do you have? Thank you for that. I, on a lighter note, am so happy that Poetry Unbound is back for season six, everybody. And I just started listening. The first episode is fantastic. It's worth it. It's the poem Lost by David Wagoner. Padraig Otuma, the host, is just back in action. And it's a fantastic poem, a fantastic listen. Great way to start your week. Again, these are just little 15-minute episodes. Padraig reads a poem. He kind of breaks down the poem. Then he reads the poem again. It's a wonderful way to introduce poetry into your life, incorporate it into your life if you're not a big reader. I tend to read the same poets and the same poetry over and over. So for me, this is a wonderful way to know 
poets that I'm not familiar with. And he is on the scene, so he picks lots of new poets. He picks this particular poem was published in the late 90s, but he picks all kinds of poems. So I highly, highly recommend season six and just Poetry Unbound in general. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 90. Episode 90 of The Long Finish is in the books. I hope I make it to 90, speaking of all that. I I hope you do too. I think you will, knowing the other women in your life. But that's it. Episode 90 is in the books. Thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to the show. If you have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? Check out Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram or The Long Finish on Instagram. I'll be posting a picture of this wine bottle and maybe a picture of the vineyards because they're that crazy cool. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. Folks, listeners, I've been talking about this for a long time, about getting some really fun interviews as we approach 100 and beyond. It, the, the, these are in the works. I couldn't be more excited about some of the guests we have coming on, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we should have a new episode coming in early November. Until then, have a great Halloween. Hope you get full enjoyment out of fall, drink some great red wines. Be happy, be healthy, and have a drink. Ciao.